Good morning, Three Rivers. Good to see you. If you have a Bible, uh, would you turn with me this morning to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. And for the next two weeks, um, we're going to take a break from the book of Acts. We've been preaching through the book of Acts since we began this new campus. And one thing that we like to do on occasion is to remember our mission, our vision, and our DNA of what makes us Three Rivers Church. And so I want to talk about that today. And by the way, if you didn't get the notes, um, since this material I think is so important and so crucial and something that we're going to continue to come back to, I wanted to give you something, a physical copy of notes. And so if you don't have a copy of that, just let me know. And there's some up here and um, Cynthia can help you out if we need to. Um, So if you don't, just raise your hand and we'll, we'll get you a copy. This morning we're going to look at a a very familiar text. And the danger with preaching familiar passages of Scripture is that Christians tend to assume that they already know what it says and that they check out mentally. They say, oh, I know this, heard this before, I'm good. Um, And what I think happens a lot, and Christians in America are very good at memorizing what Jesus said, but not actually obeying what he said to do. And what I mean by that is um, when, when you look at the way that, that Christianity functions in America, uh, a, a lot of us are really good at going to Bible studies, right? There's some of you who go to three or four Bible studies a week, right? And let me just say that's not healthy, right? It's not good for you just to come to a bunch of Bible studies and learn all the time and not actually practice your faith. Right? I have a one-year-old named John, and when, when John gets older, I want you to imagine he's now 15, 16 years old, and I, I tell John, John, I want you to go clean your room. And so John goes to his room, and an hour later I come into the room, and guess what? The room is not clean. In fact, the room is still a mess. And I say, John, I told you to clean the room. And John looks at me, his father, and says, Dad, I memorized what you said. I know it word for word. In fact, my my buddies are coming over later. We're going to have a small group. We're going to talk more about what you said so that we can fully understand it. Oh, yeah, Dad, I I actually know it in Greek, too, Dad. Right, if we say that, That's like telling Jesus, Jesus, I know what you told me to do. I've memorized the verse. I've even heard sermons on it before. I even have it tattooed on my wrist because I know what I should do, and yet we don't do it. And so what did Jesus tell us to do? What is the marching orders from the king? All right, so let's look at that today. We're going to talk about our DNA as a church and what exactly Jesus told us to do. And I think the best place to do that is from Matthew chapter 28. All right, so from Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. This is called the Great Commission. And if we don't obey this, it will become the Great Omission, right? We don't want it to be the Great Omission where we don't do it. We want it to be the Great Commission where we obey. So Matthew 28 verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. This is an amazing verse to me. 
when they saw him, now he's been crucified and resurrected, alive. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some, say the word, doubted. They're looking at the risen Jesus. Some of them worship, but some of them doubted. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Why do we exist as a church? What is the mission of the church? For some of you, uh, our, on September the 11th, Three Rivers will, beginning, will, will begin our new members class. Right? This is a membership class where you can learn about the church. And I would encourage any of you who have been coming for a time, if you're interested in becoming a covenant member, to, to take that next step. We really encourage you to take this class of, to learn about who we are as a church. And one of the first things that you will learn about us as the church, Three Rivers, our mission is this, one statement. For the glory of God, we will disciple the nations by being and producing radical followers of Jesus Christ. That's the blanket statement of why we exist as the church. That is our mission. For the glory of God. We don't do this for ourselves, not to us, but for your name be the glory. That's what we do it for. The glory of God, we will disciple the nations. We want to make disciples, not just of people in our own hometown, but for the goal of discipling the nations. And how are we going to do that? By being and producing radical followers of Jesus. To produce radical followers of Jesus, we have to first be a radical follower of Jesus. And the outflow of that is that we produce other followers. So we're going to talk about discipleship and what that means for us as the church. That's our mission. Now, if we, if we have that big umbrella of mission, underneath that is a smaller umbrella of our method. What's the big method of how we're going to do this? Right? And this is in your notes. Our method is up, in, and out. Those are, that's the function. That's how we live in our lives. Up, in, and out. Okay. And so what does the up mean? The up has to do with our communion with God. Up has to do with our communion with God. It's our relationship with the Lord. And it has to begin there. Discipleship has to begin vertically with our relationship with to God. And what that means is we grow out of and we remain in Christ. When you read John chapter 15, Jesus teaches a lesson and he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do, fill in the blank, nothing, right? You can do nothing. Jesus says, apart from me, apart from fellowship with me, apart from faith in me, apart from abiding in me, you can do nothing. 
That means we have been reconciled to God in Christ. We remain in Him. So John 15 is this communion with God. We know Jesus. We know His Word. We're in fellowship with Him. We remain in Him. And out of that upwardness comes the inward communion with, or community with each other. We have communion with God, and that allows us to have community with each other. This is the end portion of our method. We have fellowship with God, and that fellowship with God gives us fellowship with each other. We are in community. This is why small groups, our radical life groups, are so vital to your spiritual growth and for your effectiveness in the world. If you're not in communion with each other, if you're not in communion with God, if you're not in community with each other, then you're not going to have a, a, a support group of people to be able to go out and witness and be disciple makers. And so those of us who are in Christ are now in fellowship with one another. So the first question is, are you in fellowship with God? Do you know the Lord? Have you repented of sin? Is your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you abiding in Him? Do you hunger after His Word as much as you hunger after physical food? Do you desire to know Him? Are you walking with Him? Would you recognize His voice if He spoke to you this morning? The second question is, are you in fellowship with one another? Are you part of a smaller group of believers who hold you accountable, who pray for you, who you study the Word together, you pray together, and you do ministry together? If you're not, you're living outside of the will of God for His people, right? The third thing in our method, we live up with God, we love in with each other, and then comes the out. Ultimately, we want to go out and in collision with culture. We collide with the culture. We're in communion with God. We're in community with each other that leads to a collision with culture. Those of us who are in fellowship with each other, who've heard the gospel, believe the gospel, are in fellowship with God, we go out together to impact the nations and the kingdom of darkness. That's our method, all right? This is all basic stuff for Three Rivers folks. If you're in Three Rivers, you've been here for a while, you should know this, right? Up, in, and out. So ask yourself those three questions. How's your upwardness? Are you in communion with God? How's your inwardness? Are you in fellowship with other believers? And that's not just fellowship in a big group. We're talking about small group fellowship. Do you have other Christians that know you and love you and are praying for you and know your needs and you're studying Scripture together and you're serving together? And the third question is, how is your outwardness going? Are you colliding with culture? Do you have lost friends? The tendency for people, the longer they're Christians, is they tend to have fewer and fewer non-Christian Friends. So I want to ask you, how many non-Christian friends do you have? With no agenda, they're just your friends. And you're getting to know them, you're building a relationship with them. Are you colliding with culture? Now when we talk about our mission, our method, we also need to talk about our DNA, right? Our DNA. Our DNA is what makes us Three Rivers Church. Uh, when you look at my child, um, John, he is made up, his DNA is taken from mom and dad, right? And so when you look at him, you see a resemblance of father. When we look at DNA, we talk about the DNA of the church. We talk about four different aspects of that, okay? And the four words, kingdom, disciple, society, 
and church. K-D-S-C, all right? I want you to say those four letters with me. Ready? K-D-S-C. One more time. K-D-S-C. Kingdom, disciple, society, church. And the sequence is vital. Okay, so how does this work? What makes three rivers, three rivers-y? Okay? What sets us apart? Why are we distinct? What is our DNA? Where does it come from? And what does it mean? Okay, Kingdom. When we talk about kingdom, what we mean is that the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus makes disciples. So we preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus came preaching and in Mark chapter 1, and he says, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom is at hand. And so when you think of a kingdom, what else do you think about? In order for you to have a kingdom, that first means you have to have a king, right? This is my crown, all right? King. Gotta have a king. And who is the king of this kingdom? It's Jesus, right? Jesus is the king. And we preach the gospel of the kingdom, that Jesus is ruler over all, and he has come to liberate the oppressed, to save those who are in slavery to sin, to rescue those from the kingdom of darkness and to transfer them to the kingdom of light. That's the gospel that we proclaim. The good news that Jesus has come to rescue us from the wrath of God that we deserve because we rebelled against God in the garden. The fall has affected everything and Jesus has come through his death and resurrection and his soon return. He is going to restore all things the way that it should be. And so before he comes, comes to restore things as it should be, we are agents of the kingdom restoring things on a smaller basis. So we're preaching the gospel, we're saving sinners, we're working in communities to restore things to the way that they should be, to show that Jesus is king. That makes sense? Alright, so we start with the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is that Jesus is king and he's coming to make all things new. The second word is disciple. Right? Disciple, kingdom and disciple. What happens when the gospel of the kingdom is preached? The result is that disciples are made. People hear the gospel, they believe the gospel. They hear Jesus and they obey Jesus. And those are disciples. And these disciples learn to follow Jesus by hearing and obeying. I was at Shorter a few weeks ago and I was walking to my office and um, a lady just happened to stop me. She had, she had heard me speak at a devotional or something um, with, with Shorter, and she stopped me and she said, hey, I, I really want to make disciples. I have these young ladies at my church. I, I want to disciple them, and I don't know what I should do. Can you help me? Is there a book I can read? Is there some steps or something I can do to, to help me make disciples of these young ladies? And I, and I know what she was asking, and I, I I wasn't smart, Alec, about it. I said, actually, there is a book that you can read that's good for disciple making. And I prom- I'm not trying to be a jerk. Like, the Bible, is, I, w- I told her this. I said, I don't think you need to go to another book yet besides Scripture. But I said, I'm going to simplify discipleship for you. I'm going to make it easy, all right? This is easy for you guys. If you're wanting to know, how can I disciple someone? How do I do that? What does that look like? Two words, all right? You don't even have to write them down. It's so easy. You ready? Hear Jesus and obey Jesus. I know that's not profound, 
I spent three and a half years getting a Master of Divinity in seminary. And you know what you come out with? It all comes down to hearing Jesus and obeying Jesus, right? I just saved y'all like four years of your life, right? You only have to go to seminary to know that. Hear and obey Jesus. And so guess what that means for your life? If you're going to make disciples, it means that you're going to do two things. You're going to find other people to come along with you, and you're going to read the Bible, and you're going to say, whatever Jesus says to do, we're going to hear Jesus, and we're going to obey Jesus. We're not just going to memorize what he said. We're not just going to tattoo it on our arm. We're not just going to get a t-shirt. We're not just going to have a coffee mug that has our favorite Bible verse on it. We're going to obey Jesus. That's a dangerous thing when you start reading some of the things that Jesus said, right? We're going to read and hear Jesus and obey. You know what? In your radical life groups, that's what you need to be doing. Every week, you're going to ask those two questions. How can we hear Jesus and obey Jesus? Dads, fathers, husbands, this is how you need to lead your family. We're going to read the Bible together, and we're going to ask, how can we hear Jesus and obey? So the gospel of the kingdom is preached. We're preaching the gospel here in Rome. We're preaching it to the nations. And out of the preaching of the gospel, disciples are raised up. Then what happens? Society. Kingdom, disciple, society. Disciples who are raised up begin to function in domains of society as ambassadors of Jesus preaching the good news. Here's what happens. You have the gospels preached, disciples are made, and those disciples go to their own domains of society and they preach the gospel in their own world, right? You may work in education, you may work, you may be a mechanic, you may work in government, you may be in athletics, whatever you're in, you you are a, an ambassador and an agent of transformation. You are in society preaching the gospel. Okay? We're going to talk more about society and the last one, church, next week. Today we're focusing on kingdom and disciple, but I want to go through these. Now what happens as these disciples go into domains of society, and now these disciples are being made within society, guess what's born? The church. Right? So what we believe is that we preach the gospel and we make disciples at Three Rivers. And then we don't have a special paid leadership of people that we just say, oh, we're going to pay the pastors and they're going to do ministry. No, the expectation at Three Rivers is that every one of you are priests to the Lord and every one of you are filled with the Spirit of God and every one of you can be a minister as you go out into your domains of society, wherever you are, if you're in school, if you're in work, if you're on a team, whatever you do, you are the missionary. All right, missionaries are not just people we send overseas. It's not people that we pay to lead churches. It's every member of the church filled with the Spirit of God to make disciples where they are in their society. Because the truth is, there's people that go to school with you that will not listen to me. And there's people at your job I'll never reach. They're not going to come to a church they're not going to hear a sermon, but they will listen to you and watch you as you live a life that flows out of the truths of the gospel. And as these, as these disciples are made, the church is born. As the gospel is preached and disciples are made within these domains of society, they gather together as the church, which is the community of the kingdom. Right? So this is our DNA. This is who we are as a church. And what we're going to talk about more today for Matthew 28 is what does it mean to, to be kingdom disciple makers, right? To, to be preaching the gospel of the kingdom and be making disciples. So let's look at Matthew 28. And what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning 
is I want to ask three crucial questions. These are not just questions in general for the church. These are meant to be individual questions for you today. So here's the first question in your notes. Are we willing and are you willing to submit to Jesus' authority? Are we as the church and are you as an individual willing to submit to Jesus' authority? Now why do we start there? Let's go back to Matthew 28. You have the disciples gathered, some are worshiping, some are doubting. Jesus appears to them. In verse 18, Jesus says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I remember I was still a student at Shorter. And I had been invited to speak in a, in a chapel service one morning. And I was going to talk about the Great Commission. And for those of you who go to Three Rivers or you're at Shorter, you may know uh, Dr. Dub Darville. Uh, he's a professor of accounting. He's been there for 30 years. Uh, godly man. Um, those of us who know Dub, love Dub and respect him. And he, I, he asked me before I got to the chapel, he said, Pilgrim, what are you preaching on today? And I said, oh, Dr. Darville, I'm going to talk about the Great Commission. And he said, son, listen to me. And I thought, okay, <laughs> whoa, right? Anytime Dr. Darville says that, you listen, right? So he says, son, come here, listen to me. He says, you better not start in verse 19. The Great Commission does not start in verse 19. I said, verse ni- I'm thinking verse 19, what does it say? Jesus says in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He says, if you start there, I'm going to get up out of my seat in the middle of the chapel and I'm going to hit you with my Bible. And he was serious, y'all. I mean, that's funny. Get, you know, he meant it. I'm, I'm, this guy's for real. So I thought, okay, well, what do you mean? He said, verse 18, you better start with the authority of Jesus because it's the authority that Jesus has in all heaven and all earth that is sending you out. And I started to think about what is the importance of the authority of Jesus. You don't start with just go. We start with the authority of Jesus. And the question for us is, are we willing to submit to this authority? Because here's the deal. Jesus is not just the personal Lord and Savior over us. Okay? We don't just start personally. Jesus is not just the personal Lord and Savior over us, but Jesus is also the universal Lord and Savior over all. He's not just your personal Lord and Savior. He is Lord and Savior over all. So when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, here's what he means by that. Jesus in your notes, has authority over nature and nations. That means Jesus has authority over every earthquake, every typhoon, every hurricane, every tornado, every rain cloud, every lightning bolt. He has authority, right? We read the Gospels and we see Jesus who is not even bound by the laws of gravity. He can walk on top of water and he can tell storms stop and they immediately obey. Because Jesus has authority over nature and he has authority over nations. He has authority over every king that is raised to the position of leadership. He's in authority over every congressman, every president, every senate man. He is over it all. He is in authority. He has authority in heaven and in earth over nature and nations. 
Jesus also has authority over demons and disease. He has authority over demons and disease. You read Mark chapter 5, you see this demon-possessed man, and demons obey Jesus. When Jesus says, come out, they listen. He casts out demons, and he has authority over demons. But he also has authority over disease. That's why everywhere that Jesus goes, he's healing people, right? When you read healings in the New Testament, you don't just read healings and say, oh, that's great, Jesus is a healer. What he's really saying is he has authority over all disease. And if he chooses to heal, he can do it. Jesus has authority over nature and nations. He has authority over demons and disease. He has authority over sin and death. Jesus has authority over sin and death. When he dies on the cross, he bears the weight of sin. He bears the penalty of sin. He bears the punishment of sin. He bears the wrath of God on sin. And when he dies, three days later, he conquers death, which is evidence that he's actually conquered sin as well. So that sin loses its power. Death loses its sting. Jesus has authority over sin and death. And that means that every follower of Jesus also will be raised from the dead. On that last day, Jesus not only has authority over his death, he has authority over your death too. So death is not the final answer. He has authority. He has authority over our lives. He has authority over our lives. If Jesus has authority... If you say you're a Christian this morning, a follower of Jesus, then what you're really saying is, I am submitting to the lordship of Jesus, to his authority. He's the boss. He's the boss. So you don't pray things like, no, Lord. Those words don't go together, right? If he's Lord, you don't tell him, no. Jesus has authority over our lives And so the real question today about the Great Commission is not, are you going to listen to this sermon and obey it? The question this morning is not, are you going to listen to my teaching or or listen to to the communion and say, well, I'm I'm going to obey, I'm going to do that because Josh said so. I'm not speaking on my own authority this morning, am I? We don't come here under the authority of Josh or Emmett or Brad or anyone else. We come under the authority of Jesus. So the question you have to ask for yourself this morning, am I going to obey Jesus? Is Jesus really king of my life? Is he really Lord of my life? But we need to see something else. He just, Jesus doesn't just have authority over our lives. He has authority over every life. Every life is his. Jesus has Authority. And what does this mean? Because Jesus has authority in all heaven and all earth. That means that when he tells us to go and make disciples, Jesus' authority compels us to go. It compels us to go. We go because Jesus has authority over our lives and we're submitted to him. Remember, Jesus is not just a friend, he's king, right? He's king. We don't do well with kings in America, right? We rebelled against one about 250 years ago, right? Came to America because we didn't like being under a king. America, right? We don't do that. We, We rebel against monarchy, but this is not monarchy. 
This is theocracy, right? This is Jesus is king over our life. We have to ask, are we going to listen to the command of the king and the king tells us to go today? His authority compels us to go. Why? Because His worth, the worth of Jesus, is the fuel of our mission. We go because He's worthy. He deserves it. Jesus isn't just this king that we don't like. He's a loving king. He's a king that is merciful to us, who doesn't hold our sin against us. He's a good king, and His worth is what fuels our mission. We go because we want all nations to know this king. We want all nations to bow down to this king because this king is the one king who actually deserves worship. He's worthy of it. He deserves all honor and praise and majesty and power. And because he's worthy of it, that's why we go. It is the fuel of our mission. We Obey Jesus because He deserves it. He's worthy of our obedience. His worth is the fuel of our mission. And His worship is the goal of our mission. His worship is why we do missions. Right? John Piper is famous for this statement in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. Missions exist because worship doesn't. It took me a long time to figure out what he was talking about. It takes me a long time to figure out a lot of things John Piper's talking about. Right? What does he mean when he says missions exist because worship doesn't? It's because the goal of missions, the reason we go to the nations, is because there is worship around the throne room that does not yet exist, but it will one day. Right? When you read the end of the book, read the end of the story, what do you see in Revelation? You see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation represented around that throne. There are still nations, there are still people groups that are unreached, and they have no representative in heaven yet. No representative around that throne. And so there is worship of Jesus that is missing from heaven. And so in order to fix that problem of worship that is missing We do missions. We go to those nations. We preach the gospel so that they can hear about this great king who has died in their place and has been raised for their eternal life. And when they believe that gospel, those people are now represented in heaven and there is worship there that did not previously exist. Here's the end game. Have you thought about this? That there will be a day in heaven when there won't be any more missionaries. There will be a day when you will stop doing evangelism. You don't get to do it forever. There will be a day when there will be no need to preach the gospel anymore because everyone who has believed will be there. And at the end of time, all believers will be gathered together to worship and there will be no need for evangelism. There will be no need for missions. So our time is limited for us and the time is limited for those who've never heard every one of us on this side of heaven owe the gospel to every person on this side of hell right we we owe the gospel to these people and our goal ultimately is that the worship that is missing from heaven will be there when every tribe tongue and nation is represented 
And so it's this authority of Jesus, His worship. We desire His worship. We want people to worship Him. And there's people that still don't worship Him that will someday. And the only way that they will someday is if we take the gospel to them today. Jesus, His authority compels us to go. He's the King. We go because He's worthy and his, He deserves worship. But there's a, another thing that has to do with His authority. Jesus' authority gives us confidence as we go. His authority compels us to go, but His authority also gives us confidence to go. And as we go, why? Could you imagine Jesus giving the Great Commission to His disciples and saying, Hey guys, um, I'm going to do my best, and uh, if y'all could just go out there and try to talk about me and... Uh, some people might believe you, some people might not. I, I really don't know, but just try to do your best and we'll see what happens when we all get to heaven. Uh, that's not a guy with authority. But what happens when, when we have this, this God-man who has all authority in heaven and earth and he sends you on a mission? When someone sends you on a mission and that person who sent you has all authority in heaven and earth, he's not sending you on a mission that will fail. Right? Have you thought about this? If we go and if we engage in this mission, we cannot fail because we are going on behalf of the God-man who has all authority in heaven and earth. So what does that mean for us? It means this gospel that we preach, it will save. This gospel will save. Right? When you go to an unreached people, or if you go to a reached people and you're preaching the gospel there, you have confidence, you should have confidence that you're not wasting your time. Right? Isn't it good to know that the gospel has power to save? Like if the gospel didn't have power for salvation, why go? There's no guarantee. Save your money. Don't go over there. Just stay here where it's safe. Where people already believe. If there's no guarantee that the heathen are not going to believe the gospel, then there, that's not as much motivation to go. But the reason that William Carey started the modern day missions movement and he rebelled against the missions organizations in England is when he said, I'm going to the pagans, I'm going to India, I'm going to places where they've never heard. And they told William Carey, Carey, don't go, don't waste your time and resources. If God wants to save the heathen, he'll do it. And Carrie said, no, I'm going because God uses means to the end and the means is my obedience. And so William Carey goes because he has confidence in the authority of Jesus and the power of the gospel and a missions movement was birthed out of William Carey's obedience because he realized God's the creator of heaven and earth. Jesus has all authority. The gospel has power. I can't fail. And if you know you can't fail, that gives you a lot of boldness and courage and confidence as you engage in the mission, right? Like if you know you can't fail, that's, that's when it's fun. So every missionary, every person who goes to the unreached knows that their efforts are not in vain because this gospel will save and this mission will succeed. This gospel will save and this mission will succeed. Why? Because Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. That's the first question. Three rivers. Are we, are you, willing to submit to the authority of Jesus this morning? 
Second question. Not only are we willing to submit to his authority. Second question I want to ask. Are you willing to obey Jesus' command? Are you willing to obey Jesus' command? And what is that command? Let's read it in verse 19. All right, Got a little grammar lesson I'm going to ask you. Okay, Kind of a trick question. Verse 19. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Here's the question. There is only one command in verse 19. It looks like there's four, but there's one. The question is, and how you answer this question is really important, what is the one verb, the one command Jesus gives in verse 19? Someone say it. Make. Y'all are learning something at school, right? Yeah. A lot of times we put the emphasis on go. In, in, the, in the original language, it's a, this is nerdy, it's a participle. It literally means as you're going. It tells you how to do the verb. It's not the actual verb. The verb is not just to go. The verb is make. The one command Jesus told his disciples is make. Make what? Make disciples of all nations. And then he gives these three other words to describe how we make disciples. Right? So the first word is go. As you're going. This requires intentionality. Right? If you want to write these three words down, I'm going to give them to you, sum them up. Intentionality. As you're going. That means that it's not just about going to a foreign country. It's about being intentional every day of your life to make disciples. Right? This is a lifestyle. It means you have to be intentional. Are you intentional in your relationships as you're going? That means as you're going to the grocery store, make disciples. As you're going to work, make disciples. As you are working, as you are studying, as you are at school, as you're on the sports team, whatever you're doing, make disciples. And that's going to look different for Each one of you, right? Some of you have opportunities where you work to make disciples. As you're going, make disciples there, right? Some of you are students. That means that while you're at school, you need to be intentional in your friendships and your relationships to make disciples. That's the command, but Jesus says, as you're going, right? Talk to college students a lot. I'm a college minister, so that's my job. And a lot of college students struggle with what is the will of God for my life? All right, I'm going to solve it for you today, right? In case you're wondering what God's will for you is, God's will for your life is not about a place. It's not about what you're going to do or your major. It's not about who you're going to marry. It's not about a person. It's not about a place. It's about what you're going to do. And what you're going to do is make disciples. That means whatever your major is, no matter what degree you get, whatever job you are, wherever you are, you're going to make disciples when you get there. All right? No matter how old you are, no matter where you work, wherever you are, make disciples where you are. Be intentional with the relationships you have. Right? That means sometimes if I'm going to the grocery store for Jenny, she sends me on a, on a man trip you know, to pick up stuff, sometimes I might call a college student and say, hey man, I need you to come with me. I'm going to the grocery store. And he says, well, I don't, I don't need anything in the grocery store. doesn't matter. You're going with me. Right? So as we go, we're pushing the cart. Right? It might look weird and he might feel funny, but I'm going to talk to him about how are you doing. 
right? I want to be intentional wherever I am, whatever that looks like, right? That might be a silly illustration, but think about your life. How can you be intentional as you're going, all right? Second word is instruction. I'm sorry. Second word is identification. Third word is instruction. Second word, identity or identification. Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Part of discipleship is calling people to identify with Jesus. And the first step in identifying with Jesus is through baptism, right? When you're baptized, you're identifying with Jesus. You're saying, my old life is dead. I'm going to the grave, spiritually speaking. I'm coming out of the water to new life. This is why when I was in Kenya, I met a lot of um, Kenyan Christians who had biblical names. Their names were David, John, Mark. They didn't use their Kenyan names because when they became a Christian, they changed their name because they want a new identity. They're identifying with Jesus, so they take a biblical name. When you get baptized, you are taking on a new identity and you're being baptized into a new family, into a new name. And that name of your family is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so part of discipleship is calling people to identify with Jesus. Are you willing to be baptized, to die to yourself, and to follow Jesus? Identification. So we have intentionality. As you're going, be intentional. Identification or identity. Identifying with Jesus, being baptized into Him, into His name. Third, instruction. Right? This isn't in your notes. I'm giving you these for free. Three is instruction. Verse 20 says, teaching them. Part of discipleship means teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. All right? Now we need to read this really quickly because people don't read it carefully. Verse 20, what does it say? Teaching them to learn all that I've commanded. Is that what it says? Is that what Jesus said? Teach them to learn all that I've commanded? No. Jesus doesn't tell us just to help transfer information to people's heads. What does he tell them to do? Verse 20. Teach them to observe. Another word. Obey. Teach them to practice everything I've commanded. So instruction is not just about doing a Bible study. Discipleship is not just about teaching people what Jesus said. It's teaching them to obey what Jesus said to do. Right? So that's, that's what it is. Right? So what does this mean for us? Back to your notes. Are we willing to obey Jesus' command? And here's the deal. This is not a comfortable call for most Christians to come be baptized and sit in one location. The Great Commission is not just a comfortable call for most of us just to sit here while the rest of us make disciples. The Great Commission is a costly command for Every Christian to go, baptize, make disciples of all nations. Right? This is, this is a command for all of us. It's not just a calling for some of us. And a lot of times we read the New Testament, we read the Great Commission, and we say, I'm not called to missions. I'm not called to discipleship. It's not my calling. Jesus didn't give us an option, right? It's not an option if we're going to make disciples. This is a command for all believers. And so how do we do this? Four, four quick ways. I'll go through these quick. First, church, let's share the word. Let's share the word. 
And what I mean by that is we speak about the gospel as we live according to the gospel. Let the gospel be on your lips. Learn to be intentional in conversations. To talk with people about what it means to follow Christ. Let's share the word. But let's not just share it. Let's also show the word. We've got to show the word. First way we show the word is through baptism, right? It's symbolic of our identification and our inclusion into the body of Christ. Show the word. Live your life in accordance with the gospel. Let your life matter. Let your obedience be evident to all. This is... Sometimes we, we accuse people of legalism when we're really preaching holiness. Church, your holiness matters in how you show the word to others. College students, your godliness matters. Men, your holiness matters to your family. What you look at with your eyes matters to your family. It matters for your witness. Ladies, the way you live your life and what you say matters. Your godliness matters. And we can't just share the word without also showing the word with our lives. Let's be a godly people. And that's not preaching legalism. That's preaching Leviticus, right? That's preaching 1 Peter. Be holy as I am holy. Why? Not just because we're goody two-shoes, but because our witness with our life will also give evidence to the words that we speak. It matters how we live. And if we're not living out what we're saying with our mouth, people will not listen to us. So be holy. Be a holy people. And that doesn't mean be perfect. You're going to sin. But be quick to confess. Be quick to repent. Be quick to believe the gospel. But pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Let's share the word. Let's show the word. Third, let's teach the word. Let's be teachers of the word. This is why... I said it's not good for you to just go to four Bible studies a week. You don't just need to receive the Word. You need to reproduce the Word. And if you don't know how to do that, come talk to me. I want to help you. Right? We have pastors that would love to help you disciple someone. That might mean just reading through the Gospels and saying, Guys, here's our Bible study. We're going to read this scripture. We're going to read this chapter tonight. Take us 10 or 15 minutes. We're going to read this chapter, and everything Jesus says in this chapter, we're going to obey. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have a Ph.D. to be able to teach the Bible. Teaching the Bible is simply reading it with someone else and saying, Hey, will you help walk with me in this? That's how you teach, right? Jesus didn't just teach with His lips. He taught with His life. His disciples followed Him, and they watched Him live. Don't just be someone who receives the Word at Bible study. Be someone who's reproducing the Word in other people's lives. Who are your men? You men in this room, who are your men? Who are the men that you're going to invest in? Ladies, who are your women? Who are they? How are they? Do you have anybody? Right. The truth is, there's always somebody who's not as far along as you are in following Jesus. This is not hard. We've made it difficult. It doesn't have to be difficult. Let's teach the Word. 
finally, let's serve the world. Let's share the word. Let's show the word. Let's teach the word. But three rivers, to obey Jesus' command, let's serve the world. We want to make disciples and we want to multiply churches in Rome, Georgia, and beyond. Right? That's what we want to do. That's our goal. And the way we're going to do that is not just by preaching, but by living it out and by serving the world, by serving this community. Right? First question. I'm asking you this personally. This is not just for the church. I want to ask yourself, am I willing to submit to Jesus' authority this morning? Second question. Am I willing to obey Jesus' command to make disciples? And the third question we need to ask. Are you willing to depend on Jesus' presence? Are you willing to depend on Jesus' presence? We cannot preach the Great Commission without remembering the last words that Jesus gave in verse 20. He says, And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. This is precious truth for us as Christians. Because Jesus is about to send his disciples to the wolves. He's sending them to death. He's sending them out to preach the gospel at the risk of their own lives. And he tells them, when you go, do not fear. I am with you always to the end of the age. And have we not seen this throughout the book of Acts already? Jesus leaves, and what does He do? He sends the Holy Spirit. And we have the Spirit of Christ, the very presence of Jesus with us as a church and as God's people. So when you go to do this work, and when you go out to make disciples, and you find that person that you're going to walk alongside with, you're going to read Scripture together, and you're wondering, do they even care? Do they even want to do this? Is it even possible that God could possibly change their life? Remember these words. I am with you always to the end of the age. And so this crucial truth for us means that this mission, this mission of the Great Commission, is not based on who we are and what we do. The success of the mission does not depend on who we are and what we can do. What Jesus is telling us this morning and for us to take confidence in and comfort in is the fact that this mission, not based on who we are and what we can do, this mission is based on who Jesus is and what He is able to do through our lives. That is glorious good news for us that Jesus has not left us alone. He has sent us the power of His Holy Spirit to guide us to transform the lives of other people as we make disciples of all nations. So today we've talked about two aspects of our DNA, the kingdom and disciple. We preach the gospel of this kingdom and we make disciples of all nations. So I want to ask you these questions one more time. Are you willing to submit to the authority of Jesus? Are you willing this morning to bow the knee to the king and say, Jesus, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to obey? Second question. Are you willing to obey his command? His plan? His plan is not to send out a bunch of mega churches 
and superstar pastors. His goal and his mission and his plan is for every member of the church, every person to make disciples where they are. Are you willing to obey that plan? If you are, who's going to be the person this week that you're going to reach out to? Ask yourself that question. Who's it going to be? Maybe two, maybe three. Doesn't need to be a lot. Maybe just be one. Who's it going to be? I want you to answer that question for yourself. If you're willing to obey Jesus in his plan and submit to his authority. And the third question I'm going to ask you. Are you willing to depend on his presence? On his power in your life? Are you willing to trust him? That if you submit to his authority and obey his plan, that he's going to be with you always. We are not alone in this work, church. That's good news. Thank goodness I'm not doing this by myself, right? Discipling the nations is a pretty big task. I'm not sure if I can do it. The truth is we can't. That's why Jesus is going to be with us always. And the truth is he's with us this morning. He's with us as we hear the word. He's with us as we seek to obey the word. And he's with us as we respond to the word. So this morning as we worship together and as you respond to this, don't just respond with your lips and singing, but respond with your lives in obedience. And in a minute when we sing, I want you to sing to the king. We are his servants, but we are also his children. And he has given us a glorious task. He has given us his presence and his power. So when we stand in just a moment, I want you to sing. Sing loud and sing with joy and passion. Because Jesus is worthy of worship. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for including us in your glorious plan to reach the nations. Father, we have some difficult questions to ask ourselves this morning. And we can't get away from it. Are we going to submit to your authority? Father, by your grace, would you allow us to do so? Give us grace to bend the knee to King Jesus today. Are we willing to obey your plan? Father, help us to trust you in what Jesus has told us to do, to make disciples, to obey, not just to hear the word, but to be doers of the word also. And are we willing to depend on your presence? Jesus, help us to trust you as we walk with you day by day in obedience. Father, glorify your name today in in our midst. May the worship of Jesus ring out in this building and may we make much of you in our worship and in our lives for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.